0: Welcome to the MSK Minute Podcast by Basics of Ortho, where the aim is to boost your musculoskeletal knowledge and improve your confidence in evaluating and caring for musculoskeletal conditions. Join me for casual discussions on musculoskeletal anatomy and biomechanics, various conditions and other topics related to or being a physician assistant in orthopedics. We will also pick the brains of several interesting guests from time to time. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host and longtime PA in orthopedics, Jason Coggins. Before we get started today, I do want to take a minute and recognize our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by our partner, QXMD. QXMD builds mobile solutions that drive evidence-based medicine in clinical practice. Check out their Read app for easy access to research personalized for you, and their other app, Calculate, for over 500 easy-to-use decision support tools. You can use these every day in clinic. Try them today at qxmd.com forward slash apps. Again, if you didn't catch that, it's qxmd.com forward slash apps. I personally find Read a wonderful resource in preparation for and researching for the Musculoskeletal Minute podcast. For each episode that I do use research gathered through Read, you'll be able to access that research and the articles through my Musculoskeletal Minute collection in Read, and you'll get the link to that using our show notes. You can also find it on the website at BasicsOfOrtho.com. Welcome back, orthopedic enthusiasts. I am thrilled that you are tuning in to today's podcast. I recently received a message from a listener who is a PA working in an emergency room setting who made the suggestion that I put together some episodes discussing algorithms or pearls of diagnosis that could help develop or narrow down Uh, A differential diagnosis. Um, So I immediately thought this was a great idea, and I wanted to go ahead and get on it, and that's what we're doing today. So in today's episode, we will be reviewing common ways to think of and evaluate hip pain. Uh, The complaint of hip pain is certainly a common one, and it can be seen in all age groups, but for the sake of this podcast, we're going to stick to uh, adults with hip pain. Um, there's little verified data regarding the overall prevalence of hip pain in the general population, but, uh, according to the national ambulatory medical care survey, uh, that was published in 1995, uh, it noted that, uh, hip pain complaint presents to family practices about once every one to two weeks. So common, but not terribly common, um, this boils down to about one out of 164 encounters or 0.61% uh, of all visits. Now, again, that's fi- family practices. That's not ortho or urgent care. Um, but that's really the only uh, data that I could, you know, could really find. But uh, speaking from my own anecdotal experience, hip pain is pretty common. I see it on a daily basis in an orthopedic clinic. Um, So let's dive into uh, differential diagnosis. Well, to start off, the differential diagnosis for hip pain, it's considerably broad, and it has numerous potential pain generators. Uh, And because of this, uh, the simple complaint of hip pain can be quite a diagnostic challenge. Uh, Some of the challenge, it can also come from the disconnect between what a patient perceives as being their hip Uh, and what the provider knows uh, as the actual hip. Um, It's not an infrequent occurrence to have a patient scheduled uh, for what they consider hip pain. And when they come in and they're roomed and uh, the MA is interviewing or you as the provider are interviewing the patient, it's discovered that what they think is their hip pain uh, is what I would actually consider back pain. Um, So again, that disconnect between the patient and the knowledge of the provider can sometimes be confusing. But you know, that aside, most of the literature that I've reviewed over the years uh, and in preparation for this episode discuss evaluating a hip pain complaint with the starting point being based on one of the three general locations that the pain presents. And these are the anterior hip uh, the, or the groin and thigh, Uh, the lateral hip or thigh, and the posterior hip and thigh uh, and or the buttock. So the importance of the pain's location lies in the fact that each location narrows down uh, that broad differential to a distinct grouping of possible underlying causes. And once the location is determined, the differential diagnosis can be further narrowed uh, using somewhat of an algorithmic approach. Uh, for the remainder of the workup. Now, this location-based approach is how I was taught by one of my first supervising surgeons. Uh, that was uh, Dr. Josiah Duke, or Josh Duke. Um, and that's the approach that I have found that works most efficiently for me in my clinics, and it's the approach that I teach to students that uh, I'm either lecturing uh, or teaching an exam lab or precepting. So, Let's go ahead and run through these differentials based on location. So we're going to start off with anterior hip pain. So the patient comes in and they describe to you and point out to you anterior hip pain. Now, the literature that I reviewed states that this is the most common location of pain in those presenting to a general practitioner with the complaint of hip pain. Um, Now, me personally, while I don't necessarily fall in the category of a general practitioner, and that's what this uh, review uh, noted. Um, I haven't collected any personal data, but subjectively, I'd say that in my general outpatient orthopedic clinic, posterior hip pain is probably more common, uh, but that's neither here nor there. So when a person complains of anterior hip and thigh pain, some of the common inciting conditions can include and I'll start with the most common, osteoarthritis. So what can give an evaluator some clues uh, or some diagnostic tools that a patient's anterior hip pain uh, is coming from osteoarthritis? Well, first and foremost, it, this is usually an older patient, over 40. Uh, it presents with a gradual onset of progressive pain and stiffness. Now, if it's early on, you may not have any significant physical exam findings, but as it progresses, you're going to see decreased motion, uh, particularly in internal external rotation and possibly even flexion. Uh, You might see pain and decreased motion or inability to actually perform the the exact test, the Faber test, uh, flexion, abduction, external rotation. And then also the Fadir test or flexion, adduction, and internal rotation. And then there's one of my personal favorites, the Stinchfield sign, uh, which is a super easy test to perform. Basically, the patient's on their back. They perform a straight leg raise to approximately 30 to 45 degrees, and you apply downward pressure on their straight leg. If that causes or recreates that anterior hip and thigh pain, then that's a positive indicator of an intraarticular pathology. Um, and I say intraarticular pathology because it's not specific to arthritis. Um, it can also be positive in the instance of uh, AVN or labral tear. But again, it does clue you into that intraarticular pathology. And then there's the diagnosis or diag- um, diagnostic study, uh, x ray. And what you would see on the x ray is joint space narrowing and osteophytosis. So, again, osteoarthritis is the most common. Uh, number two for that anterior hip pain category is a labral tear, and you'll usually see this in younger to middle-aged active adults. Uh, and the, again, they complain of anterior or anterior lateral pain. It can be with or without activity. It can be positional. I, I've seen numerous patients that describe it uh, more uh, intense with uh, being seated but uh, from an exam standpoint, they may have a positive C-sign, and and that's an interesting uh, test or or diagnostic uh, tool, Uh, as all the C-sign is is um, a demonstration. When the patient is asked, you know, where do they have their pain, it, it sometimes can be really difficult to pinpoint, so what they'll do is they'll form a C with their hand and they'll just kind of grab the anterior lateral aspect of their thigh and they'll, or hip and they'll say it's kind of deep in here and that's a positive c sign but they may also have uh positive findings with the faber or for test and the stench filled test they may have some mechanical symptoms of popping or clicking in that hip uh, particularly it's positional but that doesn't have to be present um it's not uncommon uh, to have a completely negative physical exam, uh, as well as x-rays for that matter, uh, with a labral tear. But again, you have to have an index of suspicion for this based on the person, uh, their description, um, and uh, just kind of the, the gestalt uh, that comes with experience. Um You may also, on an x-ray, I didn't mention, you may see signs of another condition that we're going to mention uh, here shortly, and that's femoral acetabular impingement. So you may see some uh, femoral head and acetabular changes on the x-ray. But regardless, uh, initial treatment of a suspected hip labral tear is conservative. But if this fails, uh, MRI arthrogram is diagnostic. Uh, you could also potentially use an uh, image-guided intra-articular corticosteroid injection to help with that diagnosis. Um, but that's the second uh, item in the anterior hip pain category. And then the third is, as I mentioned in number two, femoroacetabular impingement syndrome. Now, what that is, is pain that's coming from um, how the 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 femoral head uh, articulates and and potentially impinges on the superior labrum, or not the superior labrum, but the superior acetabulum. And within that impingement, you do get some labral involvement. So frequently, femoral acetabular impingement and labral tears go hand in hand. And uh, the, the presentation and the workup is very similar with the only real differentiating um, thing being that uh, femoral tabular impingement, you, you'll see um, changes on x-ray. You'll see a cam deformity, which is kind of an elongation of the superior rounded portion of the femoral head, um, or a uh, pincer lesion deformity, which is a spurring of the superior acetabulum. So Uh, Again, that's very similar to the labral tear presentation with the only definite differentiating thing being the the x-ray findings. Uh, The fourth thing that I'll mention is stress fractures, which this is not very common, uh, but you want to be suspicious in athletes or active individuals, particularly if they've just started being active within the last several weeks or they've changed uh, their level uh, of activity intensity. Um, you, you especially want to be suspicious in uh, thin females, uh, and uh, what can be uh, very concerning is they have had a progressively worsening pain with activity that improves with rest. Um, you certainly want to x-ray these people, but it's not unusual to have uh, negative uh, plain x-rays. Uh, you would get uh, AP and frog leg lateral views. Um, but again, don't take these neg- negative x-rays as a definitive negative study. Um, if your index of suspicion is high based on the history and clinical presentation, uh, then you you certainly would not be wrong, and you should work these people up with an MRI. Uh, moving on to our fifth anterior hip pain uh, pathology uh, is avascular necrosis or AVN. Now, who would you normally see this in? Uh, this would usually be a, a middle-aged person or or, or um, not necessarily a young adult, but you know, 30, mid-30s to, to 50s. Um, and there's usually not a, a traumatic event, but you know, AVN can occur after a hip dislocation. But uh, again, it's usually a middle-aged person. Uh, their pain is typically out of proportion. You know, there hasn't been an inciting event or injury, but they have a tremendous amount of pain, particularly with weight-bearing. Um, yeah, and if it's early on, there may not be any range of motion deficits or uh, any findings on the x-ray. But they're, again, their pain is out of proportion, and it's anterior uh, hip and thigh and growing pain. Um, some questions you need to ask that can increase your suspicion of avascular necrosis or any um, predisposing characteristics such as the patient's alcohol consumption, as uh, high alcohol alcohol consumption has a higher incidence of avascular necrosis, as does steroid use and sickle cell disease. So if a patient has any of these, along with pain out of proportion on their hip uh, hip presentation, uh, then have a high index of suspicion for avascular necrosis uh, and order the uh, definitive diagnostic study, which is an MRI. Um, from a physical exam standpoint, you... you while you may not see a decrease in motion, uh, they usually will have a significantly increased pain with range of motion, particularly in range flexion, internal and external rotation. Now, the last anterior hip pain um, category that I'll mention is uh, muscular symptoms. And I say muscular uh, as an umbrella term because there's different muscular and soft or muscular tendinous structures, uh, that can present. These are usually, um, acute and there's usually a mechanism for the muscle injury. Um, you know, specifically the more common muscle, uh, groups that are injured are the hip flexors, particularly the rectus femoris, uh, in the front part of the thigh. And there may be injury, um, approximately to the uh, attachment point on the asis so if there is they'll typically be tender uh, wherever the injury is whether it be the muscle belly or the the attachment point on the asis Uh, you'll see this in um you know kids that uh aren't skeletally mature as there's a growth plate there but as i mentioned earlier i'm going to try to stick to uh, adult presentations here Um, but While there's pain with palpation to the point of the injury, they'll also have pain with manual muscle testing or strength testing of those muscles as well as uh, passive stretch. Now, specifically with the hip flexors, the uh, Thomas test is the test that you would do um, to elicit symptoms uh, from a physical exam standpoint of the hip flexors. So, in my experience, uh, all of these in the absence of trauma, that anterior hip pain uh, is going to be due to osteoarthritis the vast majority of the time, especially in those folks over 40. Um, following that, I would say that I frequently see uh, acetabular impingement and labral pathology um, kind of in, in second and third slots. But... Um, You, you can't forget the other stuff, even though it's much less common. You have to be thinking about those things and ask the appropriate questions and do the appropriate uh, exam tests. So that covers our anterior hip pain. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the MSK Minute and the discussion on anterior hip pain causes. I look forward to having you join me in the subsequent second, third, and fourth episodes in which we talk about lateral sources of hip pain, posterior sources of hip pain, and then the emergent sources of hip pain. Again, thanks very much, and I look forward to having you join me next time. Thank you again for joining me on today's podcast. I trust that you have found it valuable to your learning and practice, and maybe even a bit entertaining. Please join me for the next episode of the MSK Minute by Basics of Ortho. If you have found this podcast useful, I would be exceedingly grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button and leave a comment. Also, please consider visiting and subscribing to the website, basicsofortho.com, to get the latest updates and take advantage of all the great ortho-themed video content, blog articles, and more. If you'd like to contact me directly, you can do so through the website or jason at basicsofortho.com. Stay safe and see you next time.